Welcome to another edition of Mike's Notes. Today we are going to talk about how you get optionality, specifically by keeping your overhead low. In an early episode of this podcast, we talked about what optionality is and why optionality is a good thing to have. And if you missed that podcast, we'll go over it again briefly. Our first character there was William Tecumseh Sherman, and we talked about his optionality as he marched on Savannah. Sherman was notorious for leaving his supply lines behind and operating in a way that the enemy couldn't predict where he was going. So because he kept them off balance, he kept his options open. We talked about Nassim Taleb, who literally bought options, that is, the right to buy something at a future price, and the way that optionality served him in uh, his market as a, as a trader. And our third new example is Damon John, who said in a recent podcast that when he's on the TV show Shark Tank, he doesn't look for a deal in any specific industry, even though he would be thought of as a branding or a fashion guy. But he keeps his options open because he doesn't know where something good might come along. John talked about how he invested in a sock company, even though he had a warehouse full of socks that he couldn't sell. But it turned out that this sock com- this company succeeded in ways that he hadn't been able to anticipate. So in keeping his options open for different opportunities, uh, Damon John was able to leverage the power of optionality. One of my favorite quotes about optionality is from Nassim Taleb, who wrote, quote, if you have optionality, you don't have much need for what is commonly called intelligence, knowledge, insight, skills, and these complicated things that take place in our brain cells, end quote. What he's saying here is that if you just keep your options open, eventually something good is going to come around. Charlie Munger says that he keeps his options open in a way that someday he's able to make a big bet that'll be really profitable. Another nice quote that explains this idea and demonstrates it in a really visual way comes from Scott Adams. And Adams wrote, quote, I find it helpful to see the world as a slot machine that doesn't ask you to put money in. All it asks is for your time, focus, and energy to pull the handle over and over. A normal slot machine that requires money will bankrupt any player in the long run, but the machine that has rare yet certain payoffs and asks for no money up front is a guaranteed winner if you have what it takes to keep yanking until you get lucky. In that environment, you can fail 99% of the time while knowing success is guaranteed. All you need to do is stay in the game long enough." End quote. So we see through all of these examples of successful people that one way to end up successful is to have your options open, to be able to take advantage of opportunities as they come along. One specific way to do that is to keep low overhead, and that's the idea we'll be looking at today. Before we dive into our three characters for today's podcast, We'll look at one more quote. This one is from Charlie Munger. Quote, we don't have an isolated group of managers surrounded by servants. Berkshire's headquarters is a tiny little suite. End quote. Our three characters for today's podcasts. Character one is the failed startups that I've researched in the Survivor Bias Project. Character two is Sophia Amoroso, founder of Nasty Gal Clothing and author of Girl Boss. 
And third character is comedians that are interviewed in Judd Apatow's book, Sick in the Head. Character one, failed startups. In my research on failed startups, there are four financial mistakes that startups make. One, they buy too much inventory. Two, they hire too quickly. Three, they pay for marketing. And four, they are susceptible to the sunk cost bias. Each of these financial mistakes increases overhead, which decreases optionality. And you see this in the writing of the founders. Most of the research I found was in postmortems published on Medium or other web blogs. One founder wrote, quote, continue bootstrapping even after you get funding, end quote. Another wrote, quote, we stopped working on the app and devoted all of our resources to replacing our backend technology, end quote. Spending more time on things like a technology or employees or marketing, etc. never helps a startup solve the problem. Their problem comes from not focusing on something that delivers value to their customers. And they think money can fix that problem, and that rarely ever happens. What startups really need is time to figure out what the true solution is. Peter Thiel tells the story of meeting with Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, and he was thinking about whether or not to invest, and he realized that all Facebook needed was money for servers. So in that case, money did solve their problem, but that's only because the servers were a secondary problem. The first problem that Facebook had was, how do we provide something of value to people? And then they solved that by creating the website. Only other things that came off of that did they need money for. But when a startup confuses this, they think they can put money on a problem and have a solution. And all that does is increase their overhead, which decreases the amount of time they have to find that value proposition, to find that problem they can really solve. Our second character is Sophia Amoruso. She's been on the podcast a few times, but her book, Nasty Gal, has a lot of really astute business observations. Um, Sophia is a, is a perfect example of how you keep your overhead low. When she started her business, uh, she was just selling clothes on eBay. She didn't pay for a website. She didn't pay for anything. All she paid for was the clothing and then whatever fees eBay charged her. Eventually, she outgrew her apartment and she moved into a pool house. From the pool house, she moved somewhere else. And each step she made was only progressively larger. Um, it would have been easy for her to say, at this growth rate, I will need a space of 10,000 feet or whatever uh, the standard measurements for the industry are. But she avoided that. And she only got to spaces that were slightly bigger. Because she did that, she was able to survive longer. Eventually, things were going so well that her company did need to move into a warehouse and Amoruso figured that her employees could take care of the move and she was going to take her first vacation in many years. Um, the vacation went great. She says Hawaii was wonderful and she got back and everything was great except for the chairs someone had ordered. One of the employees had ordered Herman Miller Aeron chairs and about this Amoruso writes, quote, there was no way that I was going to have interns rolling around on these things. It sent the wrong message to the company to preach frugality while bawling out on 12 grand worth of chairs, end quote. So Amoruso, even as her company was growing, recognized the value of a low overhead, and not just for financial reasons, but for reasons that aligned with the attitude of the company. 
the brand and the image of Nasty Gal succeeds in part because of what it portrays. It's not just the clothes, it's the brand. And part of that brand is having this idea of frugality or keeping your overhead low. Our third character that nailed keeping low overhead are the comedians listed in Judd Apatow's book, Sick in the Head. There's a lot of comedians who mention money as being something they kept in mind as they worked. Uh, one example is Jay Lena, who told Apatow that he worked on cars during the week and that covered his cost of living. Quote, I didn't have a lifestyle to maintain, end quote, Leno told Apatow. It let him travel to gigs on the weekends that barely paid for his food and transportation. Leno said sometimes he ended up places where, it, you know, he really shouldn't have been. They didn't want a comedian, but they just kind of booked him because it was something to show whoever he was performing to. But it was those experiences that added up. And he wouldn't have been able to get those experiences if he would have had to spend his weekends working or doing something else. But he didn't because he had low overhead. When Apatow interviewed Jerry Seinfeld, it led to this exchange. Apatow, the other thing that I remember about our interview is that your apartment had nothing in it, like it was not decorated. Seinfeld, oh, I was a minimalist from the beginning. I think that's why I've done well as a comedian. Apatow, no distractions? Seinfeld, if you always want less in words and things, you'll do well as a writer. The third example from the book was Sarah Silverman, who told Apatow, quote, I've always kept a low overhead so I could do whatever I want. Leno, Seinfeld, and Silverman all demonstrate the value of keeping your overhead low so that you can keep your options open. For Leno, that meant keeping his options open so he could get experience, no matter what kind it was. For Seinfeld, he kept his overhead low and that kept his options open so he could wait for the right show to do. And for Silverman, she kept her options open so she wouldn't be forced to do something. In an interview with Brian Koppelman, Judd Apatow says that early in your career, you're not going to have this optionality because you'll just need to sell scripts. But if you can keep your overhead low enough that eventually you don't have to sell them just to feed yourself or feed your family, you'll have more optionality and be able to do more things in the beginning. So, if low overhead leads to more optionality, and more optionality is better because we need repetitions, we need chances to pull the slot machine handle, as Scott Adams puts it, how do we get it? The key to low overhead is to keep your overhead low from the start. We get used to things really quickly. This is called hedonic adaptation, and it's something that everybody is susceptible to at least a little bit. We also have a status quo bias where we get used to the way things have always been done. So if at Nasty Gal they always had Herman Miller air on chairs, when those chairs went away, uh, there would be loss aversion because people had been expecting the status quo. It's hard to scale back. So the best thing to do is not have to scale back. It's to avoid that challenge, and it's not to have things at the beginning. Move slowly, and think of financial costs like quicksand. You might get stuck, and a great opportunity might pass you by. People in quicksand don't have options. People with high overhead don't have options. Keep your options open. This has been another edition of Mike's Notes.